welcome back to the American Scouser podcast. I'll be your host tonight, Gordon. I've also got Tim and Hooch with me. How are you guys doing tonight? All great. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, today we're going to recap two of the games, Chelsea and Porto, uh, and then a look ahead to Cardiff, and then maybe talking a little bit about uh, a midfield conundrum that we might be have or that we might have in the, the, the upcoming games here, um, as well as some, some fun little questions um, like we did last time. So let's get right into it. Um, I thought we'd start with the Porto match, just it was a little bit duller. Um, also, it didn't, didn't mean as much as the Chelsea game, so I figured we'd start with that one. Um, obviously, Liverpool won 4-1 to one against Porto. Uh, Mane, Salah, Firmino, and Van Dijk scored. Um, we pretty much dominated the shots, um, or they dominated the shots. Sorry, they had a better possession than we did. Um, they had more corners. It was kind of, it wasn't our best game. Um, somehow still managed to get four goals past them. So that's always good when you don't bring your A game and you could still come out with a, a pretty squeaky clean victory. Um, I thought everyone played pretty well. Um, definitely could have done better, but I think it was an easy night overall and I think we've got our, our thoughts and and minds focused more on the league. Uh, what were you guys' takes on it? Oh, I mean the Porto game, I don't know, I thought we started obviously pretty rough. I'm not a big fan of that midfield combination and uh, I think it really showed not having Firmino up front. It was just very disconnected, and that's probably. I mean, I feel like this team plays better when they have games back to back to back with the same people out there. I know we wanted to rest people, and it ended up being good where, you know, Firmino, Henderson, they got more rest and stuff like that. But uh, you definitely could see some disconnects, like defense not starting properly from the front. Uh, the rest of midfield, like running around, like their heads cut off. It kept like it looked like we were constantly chasing uh, the ball, and they were a lot faster, quicker to everything. I obviously had the crowd behind them. Uh, any game in like Portugal, you know, Spain, Greece, Turkey, Italy, like those fans are nuts. So the environment is set for the home team to kind of like pressure and put the pressure on you. And they knew, they knew that if they could get one goal in. You know, it would be game on, and they almost got there. So it was kind of shaky, but, I mean, I was hoping, like, once we get one goal, I mean, obviously their resistance was going to be broken, and the second half just became a formality. And once you put Firmino and afterwards Henderson back in there, everything flowed a little better, and then they could not keep that intensity of pressuring us. You could see them getting more and more tired, and I think that kind of shows the different levels those two leagues are at whereas we could go the same speed the entire 90 minutes but it's like they like just dropped after the 60th minute it felt like so easy win at the end at the end of the day when you look at it there's a lot of good things we're in the semi-final you got the rest some players you know uh, it's great to see gomez back so good things at the end it wasn't that much fun to watch and i was just putting it on my post earlier today that goal was the most anticlimactic goal i've ever celebrated for liverpool in a while i think that var goal thing just took way too long and when it was over it was just like oh we scored but very important goal good results and we're in the semi-final again so can't complain um, yeah i agree Go ahead. Oh, going into it uh up through the first 
15 to 20, 25 minutes, Porto would be going all out and try to get a goal back. Um, after, you know, like Tim said, once Manny got that goal and it was clear that Porto was going to have to try to put four blasts to advance, um, it was pretty much signed, still, and delivered at that point. Um, it was nice for some of the guys to get a little bit of a break. Uh, Riggy got a start, which was probably nice for him, um, even though he only lasted until about halftime. Um, but, yeah, like Tim said, you can see without Firmino being up front, leading the, uh, leading the defensive press, and without Hendo really being a linchpin in the midfield, kind of shook things up, and it was kind of made for a shaky start. But um, at the end of the day, no harm, no foul, and onward to the semis. Yeah, it was definitely uh, anticlimactic. Um, I do actually think, though, that VAR played a, a big part in the game. Um, obviously, they were pressing pretty hard. They had a couple of, of chances really early on that, that could have went in. Um, it looked like they were up for it. Um, and obviously, a goal definitely changes the whole game. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely extremely anticlimactic. Um, kind of took a lot of the uh, sting out of the game. Um, and it, I, I think that even if it doesn't go in, even if they, they call them offside, that stop and play definitely would have benefited us. I think we needed a breather to kind of regroup a little bit. Um, but, yeah, the shape was definitely off. Um, anything else that you guys want to talk about before we move on to the, the bigger game? Um, I, like I say, it was kind of like a good result at the end of the day. It's kind of, I mean, obviously when you watch the game, especially from the beginning, it's almost like, you know, we're kind of waiting for like, you know, Barcelona on the other side and you can't help but think, man, we can't do this against Barcelona and stuff. But at the end of the day, I think those are going to be totally different games. It kind of felt like, obviously, we're not going to rest anybody against Barcelona, I would think, regardless of, you know, what happens in the first game or whatever. But um, it just kind of felt like we were not totally there in the beginning. Uh, it kind of took a while for us to get into the game. Obviously, you can't afford that against like a team like Barcelona. You can kind of you could obviously afford it against Porto because they could not take care of the, you know, they could not take advantage of the positions they got into. Whereas, you know, Suarez, Messi, Coutinho, those guys are going to probably capitalize on that. But I would think, you know, you play against Barcelona, it's going to be a totally different game, uh, totally different level of focus and everything like that. It's just, apart from the Bayern game, that's, I guess, like the only concern, being the pessimist that I am, that I take forward after this game is, aside from the Bayern game, I cannot recall a good away performance in the Champions League this year. Because um, I do not consider this a good performance. It's kind of like a good score, but not a good performance. So I kind of like the fact that we're playing away against Barcelona uh, in the first game. So hopefully we can get like a decent score to bring it back to Anfield. But like I say, can't complain, man. We're in the semifinals. Um, and afterwards, after watching uh, the misery City went through, how can you not be happy overall? For sure. Yeah, I think for um, uh, yeah, the quarter for being a second leg of a quarterfinal match is probably one of the most uh, uninspired um, displays you're going to see from this team. And I just think you know, after the emotion of the weekend, um, with the 30th anniversary of Hillsborough, and, and then you have the Chelsea match, um, to come back a few days later and have to go on the road, already being up 2-0, um, even in a pretty hostile environment, it's probably tough to get up. For that match, knowing that um, you know you have two goals to the good, and with that squad rotation, it's hard to keep the same rhythm and chemistry. Um, but yeah, like Tim was saying about those crowds, I know I was in Anfield last year for the return match when Porto was down five nothing, and the build up to that match, you would have thought they were up five nothing. 
on the few <laughs> days before in the pubs. They were dancing, chanting around, even like pre-match inside the stadium. Um, you would have thought that it was a nothing-nothing tie or, you know, they were up. They went nonstop for 90 minutes. And uh, it's just good to see. You know, it was all – they were great over there. You know, there was no problems, uh, nothing but class. But, yeah, those guys do go nuts uh, for 90 minutes plus. And it's, it's a fun atmosphere to be in. Definitely. Well, yeah, let's we can put the lid on that one. Um, again, I, I agree with both of you. I think it wasn't our greatest performance. Uh, and being being two nothing up in that first leg without giving up an away goal, I think really set the set the tone for for a sleeper. But let's move on to the big one: uh, Liverpool two, Chelsea zero at Anfield. We had Mane and Salah score. Um, that Mane goal uh, combined with that Porto goal, he's now scored eight of the eight opening goals in the last ten games for us. I think that's phenomenal. Um, something else with that Mane goal that I, I highlighted on was there, there was four touches inside the 16-yard box before Mane heads it in. Um, it was Salah from the outside of the, the 18 into Bobby. Bobby back to Salah, Salah to Hendo. Hendo with a nice chip right on Mane's head. Um, I think that just speaks volume. In, in a team like Chelsea, I know they've kind of had their, their troubles in the second half of the season here. Um, but to get four touches and, and finish it with a goal inside the 18-yard box against a team of that quality um, definitely speaks volumes for us. Um, in this one, we dominated shots. It was 15 to 6. We had 62% possession, and we had nine corners to their two. Um, it was really a rollover, and I think one of the most complete games we've played all season. Um, I think the one of the, the things that I wish would have happened was Henderson almost opened the scoring there, um, and it, probably, it looked like it was going far post, um, and David Luis kind of chipped it out over the bar for a corner, but um, yeah, it it was a the most complete performance, and I enjoyed it from start to finish. And, you know, I think we spoke on the last podcast about how we were hoping that the Southampton game was kind of going to be one of those ones where we could sit and relax. I think this one was it, which is it's, it definitely, like I said, speaks volumes for this team. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on it? Hooch, you want to go first on this one? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the way the – Game started out, you know, with Hendo, and then uh, Saul had that with half volley. Um, and then, you know, the way the second half started, Mane's goal, and for him being that wide open, you could see Chelsea was just almost mesmerized with the ball movement. Because um, for him to be that wide open on that header, uh, it wasn't like the ball came in from nowhere. Like, Hendo was a pretty close chip, and he was just standing there waiting to put it in. And then, um, with a brilliant goal right after that. Uh, Really spoke volumes. Of course, a video that got posted earlier in the week of the Chelsea fans making the uh, derogatory song about him. I thought he handled it classfully. He didn't go over the um, go overboard on a celebration. But uh, just from start to finish, I never felt like we were in danger of losing that match. Even like even a tie, I thought you know just if we kept our game going, we'd at least get one or two. And I'm kind of surprised we didn't get more the way we were steamrolling him in the second half. But yeah, from uh, start to finish. It was just brilliant. Uh, hopefully, it puts the ghost the rest out of the uh, 14 slip. Yeah, that was definitely good to get that out of the way, too, With especially with the robo slip. I was like, oh, here's the slip, and then it kept going. I mean, Klopp talked about it after the game. I thought it was, like, a great performance overall. I mean, obviously, you need to get the goal in, so the first half is kind of like, man, we need this goal. Uh, but I thought they started the second half great. Uh, there was a brief period after we got that second goal, uh, for like about like 10 minutes or so where like, you know, Hazard had those like two chances and stuff. But 
it's almost like you know the two zero lead is always the worst one uh and you know once we regrouped yeah it was one of those games where you could kind of like sit back and watch which is odd i never thought the chelsea game would be the game uh, like you're saying we were hoping the south Haven game would be like that but uh this ended up being the one uh i mean if you go back on the first goal i mean even before we get in the box if you see that ball move it goes all over the place through henderson going back coming back up again and everything like that i mean great team goal overall and Salah's goal, I mean, that's like an instant classic that you can just put in a loop and watch it over and over again. I mean, I did, and I'm sure any Reds fan did. Uh, and I mean, what is up with goals that we score against Chelsea, by the way? Uh, they almost feel like they're all like highlight worthy. Uh, like, you know, like Sturridge's goal in the first half of the season, and now this one. I mean, huge goals. I know Salah's was just second, but almost felt like it finished the game. And kind of like relieved the fans, you know, we had like a 2-0 lead now, not as much pressure. And I think that lack of pressure for a second kind of caused that defensive uh, chaos, I guess, where Hazard was like running free all over the place. We just could not adjust once Higuain came in. But, I mean, once we recovered, man, that was like a really, really dominant performance against the, I mean, against a good team. I know they're kind of like Jekyll and Hyde, but... Uh, they were not at their worst uh, by any means. Uh, and I thought we played extremely well. Another three points. Uh, put the pressure back on City again. Now they play Tottenham. I don't know how the Champions League game will affect it. You can probably make a case for each way where, you know, their confidence could be less or now they could be out for vengeance. You can probably make a case for both. But it at least puts the pressure back on them. And really, there's no easy games left. I mean, this Cardiff game will be hard, too. I'm sure we'll talk about it in a bit. But uh, on paper, at least, it was our hardest game left on the schedule. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, and obviously, it's it's the third of three tough games in a row in the league and then sandwiched in between two Champions League games. Um, it's, it's never easy. Uh, and obviously, that's with legs and, and the way that the intensity of the, the Premier League push here has has built up, um, it was definitely one to, to look for and one to circle. And I, I think that we took the challenge and, and pretty much ran with it. I don't think we, we had a problem at all. Um, you did touch on, on Salah's goal. And, and one of the things that I wanted to ask you guys was um, best goal of the season so far. And obviously there's two Chelsea ones here because I've got Sturridge versus Chelsea. Um, Obviously, Salz versus Chelsea's in there. I've got Firmino's against PSG in the Champions League first game, uh, and then Mane's little backheel chip against Watford, with, or one that you guys enjoy better than any of those. <sighs> um, in terms of importance, I would still probably put Sturge's goal. I mean, I guess you can argue Firmino's goal too, but I was kind of almost like too early uh, in the in that round so anything could have gone but i thought that sturge's goal to kind of like keep us in the chase and in the league kind of make a statement i thought that goal was huge salah's goal was amazing in terms of like you know just the way that ball went was just like a joy to watch but ultimately it was the second goal and stuff i mean to me in terms of overall value even though it wasn't for a win i really think that sturge goal was huge to keep that team undefeated uh, in the chase, make a statement against City that we're going to be there all the way. Um, to me, it's probably still like the most important 
out of those that you mentioned. I mean, it's been a crazy season where there's so many goals we can talk about that have, you know, because we scored so many goals in the last 15 minutes of games uh, of like important goals that were scored at the end. But out of the ones you mentioned, my pick would be the Sturridge goal. Who about you? Um, I'd probably say Saul's goal on Saturday, just or on Sunday, just because the um, just because it was him and he's having his quote unquote down year, and that was his, you know, that was like a his statement goal. Um, if we go go on to win the league, you could trace maybe that back to that moment. And like I said, against all odds, against what he went through earlier in the week with those uh, songs made up about him, just you know, just that perfect way to shut those fans up is just the score is absolute screamer. Um, and if the net hadn't stopped that ball, that ball would still probably be going. I mean, he just hit that perfectly. And it set Anfield on fire. And uh, I just, yeah, for the, the season, I would have to say that's the goal of the year so far. Yep, I would definitely. That's what I would say uh, for many of the same points that you had. Um, when I was growing up playing soccer, my dad always said, let your feet do the talking. Um, Salah didn't come out in the media to anybody. Obviously, Chelsea took care of those fans. And they all got lifetime bans. Um, but it it was a statement. It was an exclamation point. Um, it kind of put his Chelsea past the bed. Um, they obviously didn't like the player that he was. They shipped him out. Um, he was dusted off and brought to Liverpool, and that was definitely an exclamation point, not just for his career, but I think for our season. So I would definitely have to say Salas. Um, but, yeah, I was trying to figure out which four I was going to say was hard enough. Watching video, <laughs> video of these fantastic goals and all these, like you said, the last – 15 minutes of games and things like that. Um, I would I probably watch about half an hour of goals trying to pick up four that I could talk about. But um, yeah, I would have to. I would agree with you, Hooch. I'd say Salas for me. I mean, going back to that Chelsea thing, I would understand. I don't understand really why Chelsea fans would be, you know, bitter at Salah. If anything, they should be bitter against Chelsea because it's not like you know he pulled something and left. They just basically felt he wasn't good enough, and they sold him. So I don't get the Salah hate. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's more bitterness than hate, I guess. Bitterness translated into hate. But, I mean, if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm more pissed off. Like, how the hell did we get let this guy go and give up on him so soon as opposed to be pissed at Salah? Yeah, and that was something that I wrote in my article last week was um, their season, the way that it's going, uh, they're obviously looking to bring anybody down with them. They're not feeling good about their club. Uh, the last couple of years have been pretty tumultuous for them. Um, and they just, I'm, I'm sure that they were looking just to pull anybody down in the depths with them. And for Salah to, to rise above it and, and play one of his best games of the season, I think definitely, definitely it was boding well for the last couple of games. I, I'm sure he'll take that on and uh, he'll definitely implement that in the last four of the league. And hopefully the last three of the Champions League here. Um, any any more thoughts on that game before we move on to Cardiff? Uh, like I say, I mean, I think it's great to have Salah getting into his groove in the perfect time. I mean, Mane has suddenly has had an awesome season. And now, you know, you see Salah... First, he gets half a goal at the Tottenham game. Then he gets a goal. Then he gets another goal. Then he gets another goal. So he's kind of like in a groove now, along with Mane. And Firmino has been kind of like excellent. He has had some off games. So, I mean, the front three kind of like going back to their 
like prime all at the same time is excellent because it's the perfect time of the season to have that. Uh, and Salah, if we're having, you know, like Tim was saying, and like quote anti quote, you know, off season, the guy is, you know, tied for the top of the, the golden boot thing is not too shabby for a forward. I mean, I think everything is kind of like coming together at the right time, but sadly we kind of like left to a point where we're going to need some help and somebody's going to have to trip up city while we take care of our business definitely Ooh, how about you any closing thoughts on that chelsea game um no it was just a, a solid performance from start to finish uh it was um and uh, i was kind of nervous in a build-up uh during a moment of silence if the Chelsea supporters are going to pull anything. Uh, so just a class act by them to actually observe that and not chant anything or sing anything. That was just one of the things in the build-up to the match I was kind of nervous about because you never know. But it's that quiet. It takes one or two idiots to ruin that. And um, I'm glad that they had the respect and they showed the respect to the uh, victims of the Hillsborough that they honored that moment of silence. Yeah, definitely. That was something that I was thinking about too, just with the build-up to the game with all the social media things that they were saying. Um, it does only take one or two idiots to, to ruin something like that. But uh, I think that the Hillsborough tragedy is, is something beyond soccer and beyond football. Um, I think it's it's one of those things that, that you take – sometimes we wear the, this game on our sleeves a little bit too much and we realize every once in a while we get reminded, unfortunately, that, that there's more to life than, than just football. And for fans to go to a game and, and not come home um, definitely hits home. And I think it, it goes across the league. I think it doesn't matter who, like what team you support, um, you can definitely feel for that. So definitely respectful from them. Um, but if there's nothing else, we'll move on to Cardiff. So obviously we play Cardiff this weekend. Um, they currently sit 18th in the table, two points behind Brighton, uh, who they actually beat on Tuesday 2-0 in a pretty emphatic win. Um, but Brighton do have a game in hand. They're also five points behind Southampton, um, and Southampton also have a game in hand. Um, if you remember, we beat them 4-1 in October um, with Salah scoring. Mane got two. He had that nice little chip um, where he pretty much took like four defenders on, uh, muscle him out, and then chipped the keeper at the end. And then Shakiri, who at that point was on absolute, just, a, just another world at that point. I think he had... Um, a goal and like six or seven chances created in, in the last three matches during that time. Um, so he was in scintillating form in that one. And actually, funny enough, uh, they were the first goal that was scored at Anfield um, since February of 2018. And that concluded 918 minutes uh, without a goal at Anfield. So they obviously they took a chink in the armor and, and they'll be back stronger now because they're in a relegation battle. I think that when you do face a team like this, um, it's really unpredictable. They're fighting for their lives. Their fans are fighting for their lives. Um, and when you got a, a manager as fiery as Neil Warnock, um, you never know. You never know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, what are you guys looking forward to this weekend, or what, what are some things that you guys are looking as potential strong points for us as well as weak points? Uh, Tim, you can go first. Oh, man. I mean, as I was watching – you know, United get just clobbered by Barcelona. <laughs> I was kind of keeping an eye on the Brighton game because I really was hoping Brighton would win that game and kind of put Cardiff out of their misery. And that would really help us out over the weekend. Because uh, now they do have hope. 
Uh, whereas if they lost that game, it was pretty much a done deal at that point because they would have, you know, with a game in hand, you know, Brighton and Southampton would be way above them. Uh, so it was going to be game over. So I was kind of disappointed to see that. I don't know how Brighton, like, you know, bottled that one up. But, um, I mean, it'll be a tough game. Obviously, the score on Saturday will be a huge impact on it. Uh, I really feel like, you know, we play our, you know, best lineup. I think we see, you know, Fabinho, Henderson, Keita in midfields. Because uh, I really feel like that's our probably best lineup in midfield right now in terms of form and, you know, what they bring to the table, like each individually and then one group together. Um, it would be interesting to see if Gomez makes his way to the lineup, uh, but I think it's still too early, so probably we'll see Matip back out there again. He hasn't really done anything to lose his spot, to be honest, where we like, you know, but it was great to see Gomez back and possibly be able to come in to give out a Matip or like Trent a rest if needed to. But um, I mean, we have to win every single game at this point. And I think, you know, we can win, but like goes back to what you're saying, these games are like the worst when you play against teams that are fighting for relegation because anything can happen. I think one thing that got exposed and I was kind of like concerned about that against Porto was we did not handle the crosses into the box very well, especially against big bodies that Porto had. So I, I mean, my thought as I was watching that Porto game was, if anybody's scouting this team right now and watching this, they're saying, uh, got to put balls in the box and see if it can cause some chaos. And I know in the beginning, Van Dijk was kind of off his game. Afterwards, we kind of like, you know, dominated the box a bit more. But that's probably my only concern is like a freak goal from like, you know, like a team like Cardiff, like just kind of tries to get some free kicks and corner kicks so they can kind of like load it up in the box and see what happens. That's probably my biggest fear is conceding a goal like that. Overall, I mean, we have so much more quality over these guys. And, you know, we do get still like at least three games of rest in between. I don't think that's going to be an issue. It's just a matter of going out there and doing the job. And hopefully we will maybe get some good news on Saturday. That'll be an additional bonus for them to come out and win on Sunday. Fingers crossed for that one. Uh, Hooch, what are you looking forward to for this game? What are some strengths and weaknesses that you see as we face Cardiff? Um, I think that we have to go in uh, with our strongest lineup possible from here on out. Uh, we have to treat every match in a Premier League like it's a cup final. Um, we can't afford to drop any points. So I get Cardiff's um, fight in, their, in the relegation zone, but like you said, they're only two points out. Um, so they're going to be doing everything humanly possible to stay up and uh, even to get a tie. So I think we have to fill our strongest sign if possible. Um, I think the midfield now plays itself with uh, Fabinho, Henderson, and Kaida. And um, we just have to maybe go out with standing, like almost important, with standing first 20 minutes to a half hour of pressure. Uh, don't do anything stupid. Just play our game the way we know how to play. And um, like Tim said, they're going to try to muddle it up, uh, just throw balls into the box, try to get a deflection, try to get an ugly goal. Um, they can't outskill us or outclass us. Um, but if they would go off and say score in the first five, ten minutes and the crowd gets behind it, um, you don't have to chase points and chase goals at this point in the season. Uh, hopefully Tottenham can do us a favor Saturday morning and that would ease the burden a little bit. Um, but even if Tottenham would say go out and win outright on Saturday, I still think you have to put your strongest lineup out. If if you and to get three points and go five points ahead of City and maybe try to put a nail on the coffin as early as you can. 
Yeah, I don't think you can take any of these games for granted. Uh, I don't think yeah, you can take any of these teams for granted uh, either. And Cardiff is probably one of the tougher of the last four that we play um, just because of their situation and where they're at in the table. Um, yeah, you get, like you said, you get the fans behind you. Um, they get an early goal. Things start to get nervy, um, especially if City do drop points on Saturday. I think that might make it even nervier because you've got this position now where we can take the lead. It's right there in front of us. Um, and I think that, that it starts getting a little shaky. But totally agree. I think it should be uh, all hands on deck. I think we should go with our strongest lineup um, in midfield um, over the last couple of weeks, which has been the three that you've mentioned. Um, one thing that I did want to sort of talk about was with Lana and uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain coming back into a little bit of fitness. Do we even risk playing them in these last four games? Um, do we put them out as subs? Do we give them a run out? Um, do we include them on benches? Things like that. What do you guys think about those two? For Ox, I'm hoping he comes in uh, at a game like uh, when we're up like 3-0 or something like that, kind of like what we did with Gomez this game, and uh, makes an appearance this way. I don't think, you know, you kind of count on or rely on or even put him out there as kind of like a savior or something like that in a game and like risk anything. I mean, obviously he's fit enough to be able to play in games now and everything, but, you know, why really risk anything or put that additional pressure on him uh it got i mean we have other options in the past one you know we didn't have as much of a bench but you have other options now that you can throw in there um so i'm hoping he just comes in in a situation where we have a huge lead and he's just icing on the cake i mean i think at this point you could probably afford to put him on the bench uh uh, like Klopp likes to make his subs a little bit early, and he saves that one last sub for the 90th minute for a waste of time. So if he takes a spot of, like, a Shakiri or Church really hasn't been playing anyway, it's not going to do any damage. Um, but, yeah, like Tim said, maybe have him on the bench. If we can get a lead in one of these matches coming up, give him a run out for the last 15, 20 minutes just to get some get his feet under him and let him be back out there in that atmosphere in front of a big crowd. Uh, it's a, little, a lot different than playing in the U23 games that he was playing in. Um just to give him some confidence and make him feel like he's still part of the plan and part of the team uh, moving forward. Because who knows, we, we may need him. If you get him in a little bit of game shape now, maybe you could use him as a super sub in the last two matches, maybe in the Champions League final, something like that. Um, but yeah, definitely ease him back in without putting too much pressure on him where he feels like he has to go above and beyond and maybe pulls another muscle or does something like that where he's trying to do too much. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. Um, I also think that just the length of time that the two of them have been out in terms of what the team has achieved in that time period, um, this is – we relatively are consisting of the same players on the team, but we've hit another level. It is almost a different team, a completely different team. Um, the way that we play is different. Um, Klopp's tactics are obviously different. Um, the confidence that we have with – Allison and Van Dyke in the back. Um, we're a lot calmer. We're we're more willing to wait for our our time instead of forcing our time. Um, and I think all of those play into a huge factor with with a player who's been out for so long. Um, obviously, last time Ox was playing, we were um, just guns blazing every single game. Um, and so it takes some time to get back into it. And I think with 
with the four games in the league left, I I also would not risk putting him in there unless we had a lead, um, unless he didn't feel like he had to go above and beyond because I think the way that we've been playing and the patience of the midfield, you put somebody in that's that's used to blazing forward, um, it might expose us and, and open, open us up a little bit. But I would like to see him make an appearance if we do get a lead. Um, and if, if we do have the opportunity to, I think he definitely deserves it. And I think he definitely needs it. I think it'd be huge for his confidence. Um, and then just take that, take a nice summer, a full summer and come back, um, ready to go next season. Um, yeah, I guess with that, there's a couple more things that I had for you guys. Um, we talked about it a little bit in that Porto game, um, with the VAR. Um, I've seen a lot. I've been looking at the um, message boards and comment sections for different uh, papers and things for Liverpool. And a lot of fans are saying that it wasn't just that City got knocked out, but it was the way that they got knocked out that might just be, as I put it in the article, um, that tire and the, or the, the nail in the tire of the machine of City. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Are you even taking, taking stock in it? Personally, myself, um, I don't want to put anything past City. I think they're a fantastic team. I think the depth of their bench um, and the just who Pep is as a coach um, is a little bit too much for me to say, oh, yeah, you know, the heads go down. They're not going to win another game here or they'll drop plenty of points just because of, of how monumental that loss was for them. But uh, are you guys taking any stock in, in the way that they lost or are you just focusing on Liverpool for right now? I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. Um, I, it, it, could, it couldn't happen to a better club. Um, the way that they forced that atmosphere in the beginning of the match, handing out flags to everybody and making it seem like it's authentic, I cannot stand that club. Um, and like I said, I think it's almost fitting that like their biggest Champions League moment is a fake moment, just like 90% of their fans are. So it could not happen to a better club, in my opinion. Do you think that will affect them going forward, though, in terms of the players and even Pep? I mean, it was definitely an emotional roller coaster there. And you watched that they made a, a spoof clip on one of the Liverpool uh, Instagram accounts, and you just saw Pep running and going nuts and celebrating with his, his coaching staff. And then a split second later, he's on his knees. He's, he's got his rear robe thing that he wears, so all folded up. <laughs> And it, it really looked like it crushed him. Do you, do you think that that's going to play a factor in in the next five games for them? Um, I think it is because I like we've been saying all year they've been putting all their eggs into the Champions League basket. Um, they've won the league. They've done all that. The one thing they haven't done is won a Champions League, and they spent the money and they thought this was the year to do it. And uh, the fact, and, you know, and then they had a, the talk to the quadruple going forward, and the fact that it was a Champions League that they bombed out of, and not one of the smaller cups like the you know, FA Cup or League Cup, um, this could have a huge effect to have that ripped out. It would have been different if they would have went out and just got beat. But the, that comeback, battle that match, it was a crazy match, by the way. Uh, but the roller coaster of all that, and then the go to think that you're through on a last minute goal. Now that taken away, um, I don't know if that's something that they're they're not used to that failure like that. Um, so I guess we'll see Saturday how they respond. If they come out in a positive way Saturday, that might answer our questions. But if they come out sluggish and Tottenham can get an early goal on them, maybe, and it's I don't 
It's just they're not used to being in this position, I don't think. I think they're used to it being on the, the shoes on the other foot where they normally get that call. Um, so, yeah, I think it could have a huge effect down the stretch on them uh, mentally. Yeah, see, I mean, I, like, I, obviously, Tim has a lot of, uh, Hooch has a lot of hate for <laughs> City. I really don't have, <laughs> I really don't have that much. I mean, I, I, maybe it's because I don't consider them that big enough to hate. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's basically like a recent... <laughs> As I was saying, like I said, I don't have a lot of hate for these guys, but I mean, watching them is almost like had a little bit of pity. I mean, that has to be the the cruelest way to go out in a tournament, especially for them. I mean, this means the world. We know that they already won the league. This is like you know the biggest thing on their plate and stuff. So from the highest of highs, and we've all been there. I mean, I know certain goals. I mean, what would happen? And you know, that's why I'm always. Like half, even when I go crazy after goals, like a corner of my eye, even if I'm running around the room, is still on the TV to see if a flag went up or anything like that. <laughs> and I mean, that's why I couldn't even celebrate. Because to me, like for example, in the Portugal, I thought Mane was offside. I didn't even celebrate in the beginning. I was like, that's clearly offside. I mean, it wasn't. But anywho, um, so to know, I mean, you know, some like just think of some of the goals we scored this year, right? And this is not even like a freaking Champions League quarterfinal. Think of Divox goal. I mean, think of uh, that's last minute Sturge goal. There's so many goals we've scored in like the last minutes and stuff that you know I've gone nuts on uh, the goals against United with Shakira and stuff like that. I mean, and this is probably five times more because the quarterfinal last second after the ridiculous game, you scored a goal, the relief and everything, and then. It is such a kick in the balls, uh, you know, for that Turkish dude to just say, "Whoops, sorry about that. It was offsides all along. Hold the party." Um, it's more like it was more like a pity than anything else. I was like, I mean, I guess in some way, I I can pick other teams. I would rather uh, see it happen to, you know, like United and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a cruel, cruel way to go out and how that will affect them. I think, you know, the optimist in us hopes that uh, that kicking the balls keeps hurting. Uh, and, you know, if Tottenham come out and, you know, get an early goal or something like that, that game can go all kinds of different ways. But, I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, I do have respect for, you know, Pep. I know the guy always has, you know, like ridiculous amounts of money, whichever team he goes and stuff like that. But I can name a ton of coaches who have access to ridiculous amounts of money with no success or good football to show for it. Uh, so the guy, I, I mean, and even in games they played against us where we were killing them, he kind of has established this thing to they keep playing the way they're playing regardless of what's going on, you know, like starting from the back and stuff like that. Sometimes to, you know, they're, I mean, sometimes it backfires on them, but still... I think he will be good enough to kind of regroup this gang back and say, I guess we're not doing a quadruple. It's going to have to be a triple this year. Um, and they would go against Tottenham. I'm, we're going to find out a lot about this team overall and Pep, I think, this weekend uh, in terms of like how they respond to going out. And going out in, like I say, such a cruel, cruel way. But... I think my gut feeling says they're going to kind of kill Tottenham, sadly. 
Uh, that was probably the only downfall of Tottenham kind of like eliminating them. Because if you look at Tottenham now, they're probably more like saying, oh man, if we win the Champions League kind of thing. So they have another hope now. Uh, I know they need the points in the Premier League, but they're going to be on such a high. I don't know if they're going to be able to handle the intensity that City is going to have because they're the ones with the hurt. Uh, whereas, you know, Tottenham is the one with the, you know, the joy at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't think they have the legs either. I mean, that really took a lot out of them. I know they've got plenty of uh, injury issues too going into this next game. Um, and I just think that it, the high might have been too high for them and we'll have to see. But I do know that speaking to some of my United friends uh, or United acquaintances, I will say, I don't know if you can call United fans friends, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they did, they called back to when they had the, the Premier League title stripped away from them in the last second by the Aguero goal. Um, and they, they thought it'd be very fitting that not only did they get knocked out in that way um, in the Champions League, but that they can do some damage on Wednesday for us. Um, and knock them out. I know a lot of them are, are hoping more for the Liverpool um, Premier League victory than, than a City victory. I think it's probably split 50-50 um, and the other 50% is insane, I think. But uh, we'll definitely see. Obviously, it's nice that they're the first game because I'm, you know, I'm so excited, ready to go, ready for the next chapter of this, uh, this amazing season to take place. So it, it is kind of fitting that it is the, uh, the 6.30 on Saturday. And I think it's going to have a huge impact on our game as well. So a good result there would, I mean, be a huge boost to us going into Sunday. Not that we need it, uh, but, I mean, anything can happen. That's the thing, that Tottenham has some players that can hurt City on the counter. And they have some guys who run on pressure as City tries to build up from the back, which is how they score some of the goals. So there's always hope. Uh, but I'll be honest, like, I think there would be more hope if actually City went through than now. Because I feel like, yeah, like Tottenham is going to be too much of a high, like you're saying, to be able to kind of like regroup. Not to mention, yeah, like you said, having the legs in, I mean, three days. Which I found it odd that they're playing right away, whereas we're not playing till Sunday. But uh, kind of like works for us, I guess. I just don't know if Tottenham has enough bodies to throw in there, whereas... City has that bench with, you know, millions of dollars sitting there that can just go in and make an impact. I mean, heck, they didn't even, which I still don't understand why, but Sine didn't come until almost like the last few minutes, so. Yeah, that was, my thought was their their feet bench as well. Hooch, any, any final thoughts on that one before we move on? Um, no, I just hope, you know, uh, maybe the Tottenham High carries over. Um, but yeah, you know, replacing the bodies on Tottenham side might be a difficult ask. But I mean, who knows? Like I said, the first, I think the first 20 minutes to a half hour of that game as well uh, can tell us a lot about where both teams' uh, heads are heading into that match on Saturday. Yeah, and obviously we can talk as much as we want, but uh, until those, the 90 minute whistle blows, we, we won't have a real answer. So. Fingers crossed, and I think the optimist in us definitely sees this week as being a, a big turning point, but um, there's plenty more games to play, so we'll have to see. All right, so to close out the, the podcast, I've got a couple of quick questions for you guys. Um, the first one being being a pretty easy yes or no question. Um, do you guys think that Rian Brewster, looking at his uh, U23 um, 
performances of late, do you think that he is a a viable solution for as early as next year for us to fill in like a Sturge role? Well, uh, it's a yes or no, huh? Can't be like a maybe or hopefully <laughs> or something. Uh, I hope so. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I have not watched enough of him to be able to say a definite yes or no. I mean, obviously, you know, I've seen highlights and I've watched a couple of games, but not enough games. And especially, you know, you got to kind of see him doing it in the Premier League and stuff like that, you know, making a couple of good appearances. I mean, with him, yeah, he would be, you know, coming off the bench, like what you're saying, what, you know, we were, I think, all hoping Sturridge would be doing, right? You know, like having the big lead, having him come in, uh, you know, relieve Firmino, do his own thing, score goals, which he was doing for a while. Then he started pouting and just kind of like went downhill. I don't even know where he is not now. So, um, but we definitely need to, I was actually like, you know, writing about this earlier today. We going into next season, obviously, we'll have a lot of time to talk about about this and I don't know if Brewster is that guy but we definitely need somebody who can fill in and do the same work that Firmino does obviously it's easier said than done but we have to find a you know Firmino the seconds or you know at least his understudy or something like that so that you know we can rest him if need be because his absence any game we played and if you think about it, you know, going to the League Cup and stuff like that, anytime we play and he's not in there, the entire fluidity goes down the drain. Uh, our defense goes down the drain. The way we kind of cover midfield and pressure up front goes down the drain. We really need to find somebody to fill that role. I mean, I was even thinking, actually, you know, Ox could be that person down the road uh, because of his strengths. And, you know, he's the guy who does not mind doing the dirty work and he has the pace, and he has the passing and the shooting. Uh, but we definitely need to find somebody to fill that role. Uh, to answer your question, yes or no? Uh, yes, in terms of the first, second part of the question, where I think he can be that guy who can kind of come in off the bench and be another option as a forward. But I don't know if he's going to be there to say, you know, come save the game, kind of like we did with Sturge a couple of times. Yeah, that's super sub role. Who trouble yourself? Do you have any any points on that? Um, I think he can be, and I think he might be a good player to have in that role because it would be hard to try to find a backup for Bobby in the transfer market to sign somebody that's established and say, okay, we want you to play for us, but we want you to be a backup. Um, it's a role that a young kid like Brewster can embrace, and if you know maybe him training with the first team all the time, being a part of that squad. He can learn from Bobby in training and uh, just watching him on match day from the sideline to see, like, what it really takes. And with a young kid like that, like, he has legs for days. He should be able to run all day long. I mean, it would be bad to have him up and, you know, you plug him into the cup matches and whatnot, um, have him give him run out to summer. But uh, I think he'd be a perfect uh, player to bring into that role because, really, he doesn't have any expectations or he wouldn't have any expectations placed on him because he's on a big name signing coming in in the offseason that you'd have to convince to take a lesser role. So you can kind of build him up uh, as the season progresses. And if he equates well to it, then he can earn himself more minutes uh, through his play. Yeah, a backup to a backup, essentially. Um, almost an understudy. I definitely I can agree with that. Um, the last little question I have for you is kind of a fun uh, video that I saw going around a lot of 
uh, Liverpool social media sites was the question of if you had to sell one, who would you sell? It would be Salah or Van Dyke. Luckily, um, we don't have to make that decision. Both of them have signed until 2023. But uh, I think it's a it's a fun little uh, question and definitely a conundrum for, for diehard fans because both of them mean a lot to us. Ooh, you can go first with this one. Um, I would sell uh, Sala for sure. Um, Van Dyke, I just don't think that you can get a defender as big as he is, um, which is how he controls everything on the back line, how he is in the air. Um, he has five goals and four assists this season. For a center back, that's unheard of almost in this day and age. Uh, with Sala, you can always find there's always a I don't want to say a player like him, but there's more Salas out there than there are Van Dykes, if that makes sense. You can get an Mbappe from PSG, Neymar, Coutinho, Suarez, Messi, Ronaldo, you know, just to name a few. And then with Van Dyke, uh, it's it's hard to find somebody else in the world that possesses his defensive skills as well as him being able to play the ball out from the back like he does. Um, so, yeah, I would have to uh, say I would sell Salah. Yeah, I agree on that one. I mean, I think that's... I think unless you're like a huge, I mean, I think that should be like an easier call just because uh, of what we've gone through over the years, being able to find that person on defense that can kind of like control and be like a centerpiece of a defense. So, uh, yeah, I would definitely say Salah. Uh, you can find, I mean, not obviously the same impact and finishing and things like that does not put, I mean, you can put a winger in there. Um, I mean, for the way that I answer that question is in the middle of this, in the you know, like the third week of the season, if you're going to have somebody out with an injury for three months uh, and you have to pick one of those guys, you would probably rather try to replace Salah than Van Dyke. Because uh, somebody on the wing, they might not put as much scare against other defenses and be as effective or, you know, like crucial and everything like that. But I think overall, um, I would probably choose to try to replace Salah over Van Dyke. So, but like you say, hopefully we won't have to worry about that. But let me ask you guys this, since you asked that question, because I was like, you know, discussing this with somebody else earlier today. Um, who do you guys think would be, you know, like someone is, uh, let me, how to word this question now. Like over summer, who do you guys fear losing the most out of the players we have right now? That has, I mean, I know most, all these guys are under contracts was, but so was Coutinho. So um, who do you guys anticipate is going to be gone after, sought after the most in the offseason? I think the the most crucial for us would probably be losing Mane. Um, I really think that he is a catalyst to this team. Um, I think that his form in the last two months has, has pulled Salah out of his slump, um, has gotten Firmino a lot more involved in terms of attacking. I know that you really can't, shut that guy off. He's an energizer battery, but uh, he kind of was lacking on the score sheet. And I think that that Mane's influence on games and his recent form has, has really shaped the way that teams defend. It kind of opens up a little more space for Salah and uh, Firmino. So I think that Mane would probably be the worst to lose out of anybody. Uh, yeah, I agree. And if I think um, if we had to lose one, I think it would be Mane. I don't know if uh, I'm sure he loves his time here, but it just maybe seems like he's always, I don't know, like, I, him or Saul, I think Saul is more content to stay at a club like Liverpool, or I think Mane would be the one who'd want to make the jump to Madrid or try to be a bigger fish in a bigger pond, which sounds ridiculous. 
But, um, I don't know, just the vibe. I don't, I don't know, just something about it. I think he would be the one that would not force his way out, but would be more open to uh, filtering off or, um, if he had a chance to move abroad. Um, I don't think he's going to, but it's just something, to, I don't know, just something about how, I don't know, I can't put my finger on what it is. But um, I think Manny would be the one this summer that we'd have to worry about mostly. He'd be most open to a move, put it that way. No, I agree. I mean, and I think I have the same exact feeling that you have there, Hooch, that I can see him being tempted to go to a team like Madrid, whereas I would think Salah, because, and maybe that's because, you know, uh, Salah found his success here. Uh, it would be, like, more, you know, content and, like, staying. Uh, but I think that's why it's so important to, you know, make the Champions League semifinals again. And it would be so important to get one of these trophies, hopefully this year, to kind of be the big fish anyway. I mean, obviously to us, we are the biggest. But uh, for in terms of like the overall scheme of things, you know, I think we've kind of put our name back on top again, you know, top of the list. Whereas, you know, we were kind of like out of the picture for a while. Uh, so it's, you know, like going back-to-back semi-final the Champions League, uh, the title run this year after like the improvements we've shown over the last two, three seasons. And you can kind of tell this team is here to stay and the squad is here to stay. Everybody's signed up and everything like that. I think it's important to hopefully get one of these trophies to kind of announce that we are the big fish so there is no temptation to go anywhere else i know you know brazilian players and stuff like that you know obviously they get more attracted towards um you know like madrid and barcelona and stuff like that but i mean if you're already winning i don't see why anybody would be tempted to you know jump ship especially going into a team like madrid that's kind of in semi shambles and trying to kind of like get their act straightened out so uh, but I agree with what Hooch is saying, and I know I have this, I get the same exact vibe, right or wrong, uh, that out of all the players we have, Mane would be the one tempted to do that. Well, fingers crossed that we don't have to deal with that this summer. Uh, another another summer of transfer sagas isn't one I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, it'll be nice and quiet. Just pick up a couple couple auxiliary players that we need. Um, but obviously, we will see. Um, any closing statements before we wrap this thing up? Uh, no, I mean, let's just hope for something nice on a Saturday morning and cap it up with a good Sunday morning. Uh, but like I say, it's like a big step, big away game this weekend, but I think we can get it done and we'll just have to sit and wait and hope for Tottenham to kind of like uh, continue the damage. And I feel like if something happens and Tottenham somehow trips City, uh that will i think city would go downhill uh they need one more trip to kind of like get them to fall over the cliff here um so it would really open the door for us and get the title we deserve man fingers crossed on that hooch anything real uh just real quick did you guys see the uh next what's your thoughts on them see what i'm sorry uh, did, you, did you guys see the next year's kits unveiled uh, today on social media? Yeah, I really like the goalie kits. Uh, <laughs> shockingly, I wish that was the main kits. Uh, but yeah, I already put in my uh, dibs that I would like to get that goalkeeper kit. It was probably the first goalkeeper kit I ever earned. I mean, I, I ever like bought. But I really, really like that black with the goals. 
I don't know about. I mean, I think it looks nice. Anything with Liverpool on it is gonna look nice. But it, the main red jersey didn't, you know, get me that much. I mean, it's Liverpool, obviously. Uh, but the black one, man, that thing looks sharp. Yes. The, yeah, it reminded me of a, a Rogers era with the the really tiny white uh, pinstripes. But to be honest, Liverpool could put out a poop brown jersey, and as long as, <laughs> as, long as it has that gold. Premier League winners patch on the side. I'm buying it. So, here's <laughs> props for that one. Agreed. <laughs> well, I've got I've got one last thing. I kind of want to end with a PSA or a PSA uh, statement here. I, at our local in the Chicago region, our local bar had a little bit of trouble with some of the Liverpool fans there um, in terms of of their behavior during um, Wednesday's games. Got a little rowdy, especially with City losing. Um, so I just want to remind everybody out there listening that if you are going out um, and if you are watching games, just to be respectful, obviously every bar um, is going to have different fans watching the game. And, I mean, this weekend even, if you go out and you've got Carter fans at the bar, I mean, if we put four or five past them, fingers crossed, uh, that might be the end of their season. So just be respectful when you go out there. We don't want to have uh, the reputation of some of these other clubs do when we're out there. So um, represent the club even if you're – 2,000, 3,000 miles away. Um, with that, I'm going to go ahead and add, end the podcast. Uh, make sure to look out for Hooch's uh, pre-match article coming out soon. And uh, make sure to like us on Facebook and and share all the content we can have out there. But uh, up the Reds. Up the Reds. Up the Reds.